You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where every episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Oh, he said it was the sound of the winter calling. I'm up around the bend, or it could be the cry of your restless heart, or the love of your long lost friend. Oh, but me, I think it's just the summertime and the heat of these taxis winds. They keep on a slapping my face with dust so thick that the tears won't roll again. Last of the true believers, if you've grown weary all alone, you could go home again, home again, a home. Last of the true believers, you pack your things and go back home, you could go home again, home again, a home. All right, for this episode, we'll be talking about Nancy Griffin, The Last of the True Believers. In the room, I have Ann. Hey. Rob. Hi. And on the line, I have Ben. I am here and happy to be here. And Kyle. Hi there. The Last of the True Believers is a forced duo about American singer-songwriter Nancy Griffin, released 1986 by Philo Records. Producer was Jim Rooney and Nancy Griffin, and the genre is country. I'm going to read from the book, Ross Fortune. Together with Texas contemporaries Lyle Lovett and Steve Earle, Nancy Griffin emerged like a breath of fresh air blowing through the tired mid-80s country music scene. Her three previous albums had evidenced a growing talent, but here, on her fourth, she confirmed herself as a force to be reckoned with. Not quite country, not quite folk. The sound is rich, rooty, and acoustic. The song's catchy, literate, and spry. Her voice, meanwhile, trills, quivers, and quavers to definitely emotive and subtly empowering effect. Although Kathy Matea had hits with two tracks off this album, Griffin's distinct sweet but never saccharine voice fits her own songs better. An ex-school teacher, she enjoyed wearing her heart on her sleeve. Accordingly, she is pictured clutching a biography of Tennessee Williams on the front cover and Larry McMurdy's Lonesome Dove on the back. And yes, that is Lyle Lovett off to the right dancing under the Woolworth's luncheon sign. Uh, Belying her delicate demeanor, Griffin could be a tough cookie when she had to be, both in person and in song. But when she opened her mouth to sing, it was not hard to fall a little bit in love with her. She followed this album with her major label debut, Lone Star State of Mind, Twin Peaks in a career that has endured more than two and a half decades. All right, what do we think of Nancy Griffin, The Last of the True Believers? First and foremost, all right, she Twin Nancy. Peaks? She, uh, yeah. she passed away a couple months ago. Oh, yeah. Right, Nancy. Yeah. yeah. So I was not familiar with Nancy Griffith before, before this project. I think that I like Nancy Griffith a lot on paper. Mm. And I also think that if I was ever to have the privilege of hanging out with Nancy Griffith, I think that I would admire her and we would get along. But something about the album, as much as I love what she's doing, especially in the 80, in the middle of like the synthetic 80s, just going going rootsy. Like this reminds me of the that like Emma Lou Harris mm-hmm. album that we covered a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just need more listens, but I like this style of music and I like what she's going for, but something about the album last of the true believers is a little bit, it's almost, it belongs more in a coffee shop than in my record collection. It's how I feel. I could, I could see that it is a little, has a little pop sensibilities. It's not, but I feel that shine is really welcome. I mean, I mean, I, I think she does a really good job 
on on all these songs and they feel it feels like a really complete album from song to song there's variety within those songs and i feel like her her lyricism really carries it and yeah i i, I got that sense maybe the first time time and a half i was listening to it and then something kind of clicked when i on re-listens that really made a lot of sense also visiting other people who have covered her songs and then going back to the original made me kind of appreciate this one even more. Hmm. Dude, speaking of covers of her songs, I was wondering why love at the five and dime sound sounded familiar to me in the late eighties, early nineties. My mom was a huge Kathy Matea fan (laughs) and Kathy Matea. I guess she had, she had a few big hits, but you know, she was, I don't think she was ever like a list country, you know, like, no, because you know, because she played Warsaw, Indiana. Because my very first concert I ever went to was my mom dragging me along to a Kathy Matea concert at the Wagon Wheel in Warsaw, Indiana. And I swear, Kathy Matea, she looks out at the crowd and she says, "Like, oh, I'm so happy to see all of you here tonight. I didn't know how many people I was going to see because, you know, I know that Randy Travis is playing in Indy today. And I swear a few people got up. <laughs> They're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Randy Travis is, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was my very first concert, and I guarantee she played "Love at the Five and Dime," and that is probably why mm-hmm. that song hit my ears in such a familiar way. Yeah, yeah. So I like this record a whole bunch. I found a review that called her the queen of folkabilly, and I was like, "That's not a thing." So I, I googled <laughs> queen of folkabilly, and yeah, that is attributed to her. It sounds like she invented that term, or that's what I read. I don't know. Self-described queen of folk. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe. Hmm. Well, I saw that she like came out of the Austin alt country movement of like the seventies, which I thought was really interesting. That makes sense. I I could hear that. Yeah. Going to say a lot of those pioneers were Gary Clark, Lyle Lovett, Steve Earle, and Towns Van Zandt. Is Gary Uh, Clark, Gary Clark Jr.'s dad? (laughs) No. Different Gary Clark. Is he really not? Oh, wow. (laughs) You you would have thunk, you know? Real, real question. There's lots here, of folks uh, named Gary. For for you guys, actually, specifically for you, Anne, mm-hmm. um, is uh, the song "Saint Olaf's Gate" is that the Golden Girls reference? I don't know. I'm just getting into the Golden Girls world. <laughs> That's where Rose is. So wild. Saint Olaf. Oh. I hope so. Yeah, I hope <laughs> is that where Rose is from? Is that what you said? Yeah, she's from Saint Olaf. I mean, she. They always talk about her heritage. So. Yeah. Is oh Saint my Olaf goodness! Like, like Saint yeah, there was an episode with the. Uh, Confederate flag. St. Pete, is oh, it just like a, a town in Florida? Oh shit, did I just mess up my... Who are the Golden Girls again, guys? We got Blanche, we got <laughs> we Rose. We got Blanche. Rose. You mean Rose. I do yeah. mean Rose, yeah. Betty White. Betty White, yes. Yeah. Thank God. Okay, yeah, I didn't really... <laughs> Sophia? I hope I'm right, then I'll be embarrassed. Yeah. I'm pretty mom. sure you're right. No. <laughs> and then, and then what, what, who's B. Arthur? She's not Maud, that's a different She's show. Dorothy. 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 Yeah. Dorothy. So I can't believe you put me up for adoption, Mom. Oh boy, <laughs> that's my best, B. Arthur. You know, Sophia, the actress that played Sophia, was the youngest of the four. Well, that's true. All he right, was in old people makeup. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is the kind of stuff that they're want, they're going to want to see. <laughs> the was that Estelle Getty? Is that Sophia? Yeah, I forget. Yes, it, it was. It sure was. From but Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. From <gasps> Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. No you, shit. Which uh, oh, yeah. Stallone? I learned so much on this podcast. Yeah, well, Stallone, Stallone talked, wearing a diaper. Stallone <laughs> talked about, or no, uh, Schwarzenegger was talking up how good that script was, and then Stallone grabbed it 
and uh, Schwarzenegger was laughing the entire time because he knew he was trolling him. He trolled him. So good. All right, sorry. Okay. Anyway, anyway. One, two, three, and scene. Here we go. Dance a little closer now. Dance a little closer tonight. Dance a little closer to me. Cause it's closing time and love's on sale tonight at this five and dine. Eddie played the steel guitar and his mama cried cause he played in the bars. They kept young Rita out late. I like that she's. Uh, I like that she's holding um, like literature on the front and back cover. Uh, the life of Tennessee Williams. I thought was pretty apt. Studied a lot of Tennessee Williams in high school. Are you guys familiar with Tennessee Williams? Mm-hmm. The playwright. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the earnestness and like the southern. I don't know. I like this record a lot. Yeah, I think across her record, she would have southern uh, writers' books like in her hands. Yeah, I I read that too, Anne. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, she was a school teacher. I mean, even when she was recording this album, she was still a school teacher. So mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. was the album that kind of broke and made her realize that she could do it for re- real. It got her like a mainstream contract. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was so sweet and I really liked it. I wasn't sh- I, like I had to listen to it a few times to figure out if I liked it or not because this isn't generally my genre right Mm -hmm. it's kind of uh politically left-leaning which i thought was kind of distinct it's fascinating uh, because she's wearing like a reagan pin in her she's wearing a nixon image search of nancy griffith throughout the years she's always covered in political buttons of just both yeah. sides of the spectrum candidates. I, I think it's like her thing. I can, Yeah, I can give you a little insight into <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, tell me about this. I want to know. So one of her constant visual elements in the 90s and onward was a large L- LBJ for USA button. And she would wear others just as a sort of, I don't know, memento or it was kind of her Teachable thing. moments for her students. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but she said as a, fo- as a fellow Texan, speaking about LBJ, LBJ, I feel he was very naive on the international political level. Um, He was a brilliant man, but when it came to domestic issues, we had Lyndon Johnson cramming Medicare down the throats of Congress in order to have what we have because everybody was very against Medicare and they were all calling it socialism. Thanks to Lyndon Johnson, we have voters' rights and we have Medicare. We have all kinds of relief programs. Okay. So, so he, I, I think leaning. Yeah, I think it was Texas Democrat. Sort of the Texas Democrat left leaning sort of. I don't know. I did. I don't see know one if I could. If he could call Lyndon Johnson naive, like wouldn't being vice president be like the most experience you could have going into a presidency? She's saying naive about international policy. Yeah. Which. You know, it's a totally different. I was trying to figure out if I would ever put on this album independently. <laughs> Maybe at a picnic? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I would listen to this with my mom. Like, I would want my mom yeah. to listen to this, and it would be really fun to listen to this with my mom. Yeah, it's very And sweet. my very first impression of this album, before I even saw the Kathy Matea connection, was, I bet my mom would like this. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom the, would like this, yeah. Yeah, Maybe our moms could listen together. I but think like, they should. When I started... Like songs pa- that I liked Patreon on my third episode. listen, it was almost half of what was on the album. So I feel like I do like this. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. 
Yeah, where does it fit? I mean, we really like that Dolly album. I know that's Dolly, and it's that's Dolly. Her different name out of your mouth, sir. <laughs> different Wait, thing. Why? <laughs> but but when we're talking it's, about it's different than country music, no. you know, Dolly's infallible. <laughs> no, no, I there there one hundred percent needs to be representation of more female artists in this book, and Nancy Griffin is fucking doing it. Yeah, she's doing it. I yeah. just don't know if I like this kind of country music. That's okay. That that like I like it. My my only qualm is like it's just not the country that I like to hang my hat on. Yeah. Which I know is I mean different strokes different folks. There's, it is really there, mellow. Yeah. There there is but I mean there's she's not doing anything wrong and the band isn't doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just my uh yeah, I don't I don't know of a time that I would ever put this back on. I think that you and I might be on the same page there, Rob. And I, I can't even put my finger on it because like I mentioned earlier, like I like Emily Harris. I like Dolly. I, I like alt country. I love what she's doing. I like that she's left leaning. I just, I don't know what this album either has that I don't like or what it doesn't have that I need to make me want to put it on again. Because I feel like I would want to play a lot of stuff that would be categorized very similarly to this. I kind of want to see live footage of her from around this time to see yeah. how the songs translate into a live setting. Because that, that Absolutely. might completely change my, uh, my opinion. Yeah. Does it feel a little I, I polished? Agree. It's very polished. Yeah, you know, I think that's what... Charm and soft. And yeah. just like glistening. Like Yeah, it feels like every what every... <laughs> this is gonna be weird. It feels like what every sort of sort of folk country band is trying to do for NPR. This this mm. is the yeah. exact sound that they are going for because everything is perfectly polished in its place, and her voice is a yeah. beautiful voice. Yep. It is 1986. I think this that- is Nash Nashville 1986. Perhaps the worst year for music. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think that like the ones that I liked on this were more the ones where the sense of longing and like sadness was enough that it was sort of outweighing the polish. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. ones that are more country leaning that sort of feel like a perfectly placed country, like what you think of when you think of that, I was not as into, right? So I agree. I don't know. Yeah. I agree. But the ones, the tracks that I liked, I want to hear them again, right? Yeah. So, I yeah. don't know. So Nancy Griffith, she penned a song that probably everyone listening is familiar with. Uh, it was the only song that I knew mm-hmm. when when I started reading obituaries about her a few months ago. Yeah, Bette Midler had a huge hit with that song, From a Distance. And I did not know that Bette Midler didn't write it until Nancy Griffith died. Mm-hmm. I remember that song very well from the 90s. I feel like that song was like inescapable. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm sure she made bank off of writing that song. I hope, I hope she did. I imagine she I remember I, I, dressing yeah. up as John McClane for a Christmas <laughs> concert that we had to do where we sang that song. <laughs> so I for, forever have intertwined in my brain, Wait, Die what? Hard and From a Distance. Yes. Rob, what, what year is this? <laughs> is this middle years? school? What's 89 happening? or 90? Mm, Wait, you, you were in elementary school? Just yeah. a boy. You're, you're, you're doing a, a diehard you Nancy Griffin. You diehard in elementary tribute. Yeah, man. I, when I had a God, what were those water guns like that Super looked Soakers. like real guns? Intertech. Intertech. I had, Intertech. I had, oh, I had, I had yeah. an Intertech nine millimeter like tucked into the back of my Jesus my, my dungarees. 
Now I have a squirt gun. Ho, ho, ho. Exactly. <laughs> you get it. But yeah, we, we had to sing from a distance. And so, you know, That's how you express your feelings. With an inner tech in your, in your, in your <laughs> yeah. pants? In, in my dungarees. Was this at school? Was this, this back when you could take take fake guns to school? <laughs> it was in the gymnasium of St. Matthew's. wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to talk about that with my therapist. <laughs> 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 Christ Guys review of this. No, I missed, no. I missed it. All right, here we go. Enlighten me. All right. Among the signifiers jammed into the back cover portrait are an acoustic guitar and a Larry McMurdy novel. Not just a folky, a literary folky from Texas. Get it? Yes, we see. We see auburn hair in a French roll, white shawl thrown casually over antique flower print dress, eyes demurely downcast, <laughs> a might precious all told with songs to match. Bet she reads Bobby Ann Mason, too. But there's just no pro center. What's amazing is that she almost gets away with it. On Looking for the Time Working Girl about a prostitute who can't afford a heart of gold, she does get away with it. I think it's the melody. B minus. Yeah, there you go. Uh, since we were talking about the cover, I did want to mention that she had a habit of visiting the Woolworths on the road. Just any place she would go. If there was a Woolworth, she just she fucking... She would visit it, Burr! yes. Uh, and she, she, did she give her any reason why? She said in uh, 2007, having written the song Love at the Five and Dime, I used to visit every Woolworth in town I was playing in. The night I played in Carolina, I told the audience to meet me for breakfast at the famous Woolworth counter down the street. She explained, referencing the site of the historic 1960s sit-in where a group of African-American students took over the segregated lunch counter. It was an extraordinary morning, and there was a line around the block. The counter is now in the Smithsonian. Wow. <laughs> Sweet. She just liked to do it because it was a thing that, you know. Well, having, like, those rituals probably keeps you grounded, right? It's Absolutely. Like something to help. And it's probably interesting to see, you know, the differences and sure. between the different shops and everything. Uh, I also wanted to mention... That I don't know if anybody had seen her on David Letterman, but I started looking up her career and David Letterman loved her and invited her all the time to the late night show. There's you literally think David an, Letterman had a crush on Nancy Griffin. Absolutely. You can tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, There's literally an hour and a half of her playing on the late show. That's crazy. An hour and a half. Just imagine that. That's <laughs> I mean, every song she sings is what, four or five minutes? <laughs> An hour and a half of her on that show. Beautiful. So she was a regular in the in the biggest sense of the word. Crazy. And he also, he, he like, every time she was on, he would talk about how you should just buy one album. Just buy her CD. Um, you know, it was, it, it's incredible to, to see that. I, I haven't seen that recently where it's just a, a band that's repeatedly on, you know, a late night show. That tends to the white hey, could, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Conan with the white stripes, maybe. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. 
Did anyone check out her 1988 live record? No, did you? No. No, it sounds great, though. One Fair Summer Evening. I didn't find time to play And Rob, it, but... that would be our chance to hear these songs in a live uh, mm-hmm. format. Well, there we go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to yeah. look into that. I think as we sit, though, as we sit here on this evening, December 8th. The eve of I'm your new- birth. The eve of my birth. The last day of my of my 30s. I am sitting neutral on Nancy Griffith. Okay. Okay. You don't have any ennui about turning 40? (laughs) (laughs) I'd have some ennui about turning 40. (laughs) Uh, What do you think? I think I'm positive. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to fight anybody about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm neutral. I, mm-hmm. I can't, uh, again, there's, there's nothing wrong with what's happening. There's just not much I can personally hang my hat on. I appreciate her voice and I appreciate the musicians, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's a little too soft for my taste. Mm-hmm. I feel that. But yeah, I, I do look forward to seeing what this is like in a live setting. Cause again, that might really change my mind on it. Yeah. I think I'm on the, I'm on the same page. It's a little bit of a neutral. It's just got a little bit of that tinge of the Nashville, polish that just gets me i'm just a little bit too yeah you're you're right on that but i mean she's definitely in a group a good group of people you know with oh yeah with a lot of love it uh also kathy griffin was inspired to okay. sorry griffith. kathy Griff, griffith <laughs> was uh inspired to um start playing music and get into uh country and folk because of uh towns van Zandt. yeah she saw. I like that. Uh, that's cool. She saw yeah, him cool. at, at a young age, and um, she's twelve or something. Was very inspired yeah. to uh, to start doing it. Well, both of her parents also musicians in some way, shape, or form. Like no. her dad was in a barbershop quartet. Her dad was in a barbershop quartet. Her mom was mm-hmm. a, a amateur actor. Okay. <laughs> so an artistic family. <laughs> Kyle, what? Which side of the, What do you think? What do you think? I'm gonna say positive. Um, <laughs> Of course, there's several other records I would I would put on a thousand one albums um, to listen to before you die. But I feel like this is I'd recommend this to somebody who who likes country music or who likes old school country music. You know, um, if they never heard this, I think it's earnest. It's it's well put together. It's you know, if you're going on a picnic <laughs> with your mom, you know, you and your mom go on picnics. You've never been on a picnic <laughs> with your mom? This is very specific. If you're going on a this is a theoretical aunt. Kyle, let's both recommend this to my mom, mom. come, come Christmas time. I guess yeah. not by my okay. lonesome. I guess I'll have to work let's, on that. <laughs> ben, let's uh, recommend this to our respective moms and then mm-hmm. compare notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll see you at Christmas. We'll see how our moms <laughs> thought of Nancy Griffith. I have a feeling my mom's going to be way into it. Yeah, I think my mom is. My mom's going to hate it. My mom's going to hate it. I was going to say, I think this is probably the best of the adult contemporary you could possibly get. Yeah, I can see that. You wouldn't go with the Violent Femmes. I think they're my favorite. Are they adult? You bring that up every time. They're in. They are adult contemporary. That's a joke. Somebody's playing a trick on everyone. (laughs) If you go literal, adults making music now then anything could be adult contemporary. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying something that would get played on the adult <laughs> contemporary station. You savages. Saying, <laughs> if you're trying to combine, like, country, bluegrass, and folk, like, this is a pretty good result. It's true. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, next time we'll be talking about Billy Bragg talking with the tax man about poetry. All right, thanks, y'all. Hello. Sinking love.